today's edition of Better Know and SEO Pro, I'll be talking to Barry Schwartz. Barry Schwartz is the CEO of Rusty Brick, which is a New York-based web services firm. He has been covering the search industry for more than 15 years, both as the founder of Search Engine Roundtable, and he's been the news editor for Search Engine Land since the site launched. In the past, he was also news editor for Search Engine Watch, and he's also been a moderator at several search marketing forums. You can regularly see him speaking, moderating, and live blogging like a fiend at the SMX conference series, uh, as well as uh, many other marketing and technology events. And uh, in 2019, Barry was awarded the Outstanding Community Services Award by Search Engine Land. In 2018, Barry was named the U.S. Search Personality of the Year at the U.S. Search Awards. You can follow Barry on Twitter at Rusty Brock, uh, excuse me, at Rusty Brick. Uh, on LinkedIn, the same Rusty Brick, and on Facebook, he is Barry Schwartz. And here he is, Barry Schwartz. Welcome to the Search Engine Journal Show. Hi, thanks for having me. It is awesome to talk to you today. Thanks so much for uh, making the time to do this. So, so let's kick off. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Search Engine Roundtable. So, for anyone listening who may be unfamiliar, I'm sure there's not many, but tell us a little bit about Search Engine Roundtable today. Uh, sort of like, what are your goals with it, and what can people expect when they visit your site? goals. I don't really have any goals. Um, I just write whatever I kind of want. It's, I basically started Searching Roundtable in 2003 as a way to keep notes on what the SEO and SEM community is talking about. Um, it started pretty much by just there's so many discussion forums out there, especially in the early days. The discussion forums were way more active than they were now. Um, Webmaster World and uh, back then, SEO chat and Jim World and all these old SEO forums were just so, so active um, that I would find it, I, I would, people wouldn't be able to find all the conversations that were important. And, and I've always loved the community. So I was always very active in those forums. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be a great way to kind of um, highlight maybe the top five, ten, you know, f- five threads every single day and kind of highlight what they're talking about. Um, and as time went on, I, the kind of the, sh- the shift of chatter and discussions kind of moved from the forums. There's still obviously a, a nice active forum on Webmaster World and some other forums, mm-hmm. but the most of the discussion has really shifted to Twitter. There's also Facebook, but Facebook is kind of private, so it's like behind the login most of the stuff. So I kind of focus on Twitter now and Webmaster World and some other forums, and I'll pretty much summarize what the SEO and SEM community is talking about there. Um, my goal is really just to kind of make it, uh, the life of our community a little bit easier by kind of highlighting things that the community is talking about that maybe they don't have time to participate in on a daily basis. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and obviously you've been, uh, as you mentioned, for over 15 years now. So uh, one of the big questions, I, and a lot of people wanted me to ask you this, it's, it's, do you have a secret for being able to keep doing this for so long for, you know, for 15 years? That's pretty impressive. There's no one who has that sort of, you know, longevity in this industry. So how do, how do you do it, man? Yeah. I mean, I guess Danny Sullivan has been doing it longer. Obviously he's kind of stopped on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've been doing it. Yeah. I've been consistently pump, pumping out five to 10 articles per day on search for over 15 years. It's going to be, Soon it's going to be 16 years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's just the way my personality. I'm a very consistent person, um, very reliable. I'm very into a routine, um, and I'm also crazy about being efficient. Um, so all those things work together well in terms of, um, you know, doing something for a really really long time. 
Gotcha. So I was I was always curious. Um, I'm not sure if there was a story behind it, but what, how did you come up with the name, the Search Engine Roundtable? Where did that come from? Um, so again, when I was thinking about doing the, you know, basically highlighting the best threads um, or best discussions in the community, I kind of envisioned it as a roundtable of people in the SEO community highlighting what the community was talking about. So mm -hmm. early on, I'm like, maybe I can get some other administrators or moderators or forums to kind of like help me, right? Mm -hmm. We kind of did that for a little bit. It didn't really take off there. Everybody's busy. Um, so instead, I pretty much took it on. So I thought, I thought it'd be more of a roundtable of writers oh, okay. um, just highlight, highlighting that discussion. Either way, it still works because it's basically the community as a roundtable discussing topics, even though I'm just, I'm the only writer. Mm -hmm. um, I've had people who, every single day, I get five emails every day from people who want to write. Um, I just, you know, searching around tables is my thing. It's, I don't have to answer to anybody. I don't have to worry about whether people write. Um, and it's, again, it's still, it's still not necessarily my ideas when I'm writing. It's really just kind of um, writing things that the community, I think, is saying and not really, not always express myself or my thoughts when I write. Gotcha. So, uh, and we'll go to an early audience question here because I had a couple that are pretty similar, so I'll try and summarize basically what they're asking. So I had Dave Davies of Beanstalk, Beanstalk Internet Marketing and also Jesse McDonald of IBM uh, asking a pretty similar question of you. So have you ever had a day where you wake up and just like, man, I don't want to write today? Uh, and if so, how do you get past that? Like, you know, it's sort of, you know, as we say, 15 years of doing this every day. What keeps you motivated all these years to keep doing it? So I actually just tweeted about that maybe a week ago. Like I wasn't in the mood to write today, but I did it anyway. Um, I'm a very, how do you say, um, low emotion person. I don't really have that many emotions, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I'm plain and vanilla. It's basically, this is what I'm doing today. You know, who cares if I'm in the mood for it or not? I just, I just do what I'm supposed to do. Um, there is no feelings when it comes to it. I, find, I personally always joke around on some level that emotions get in the way of running an effective business or doing something that you need to do. Mm -hmm. um, if you could take out the emotion, things would be a lot smoother and easier. And I'm sure you, in the publishing world, being on social media, get a lot of, um, I guess, flack or trolls or people with emotions get upset and stuff and so forth. Um, and they kind of like troll you or they say something that, you, you know, they kind of go after you for a little bit. Um, and not having that emotional factor does help a lot, especially when writing about stuff in our industry. Mm, that's very true. Yeah, there is a lot of emotion in our industry. There's no doubt about that. Um, very interesting. That's, that's very Spock-like of you. Um, <laughs> so, what, so what would you say is sort, sort of your approach to writing? Um, you know, anyone who's followed you, you know, you have a pretty fairly unique style. You know, you don't. I feel like you don't want to waste anyone's time or your own. You know, you're not doing like these 1,000-word sort of news posts. You just sort of say what's happening and get out. Is that something you – is that like an intentional style thing, or does it just sort of happen naturally for you? Um, so if you go back to my earlier stories back in like 2003, you'll see they're even shorter. Mm -hmm. um, I personally cannot stand listening or reading something that could have been said in a shorter period of time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like if somebody's giving a speech, I rather every single word or sentence, I don't want to be that extreme, but every single sentence that person says be unique mm -hmm. than having them to explain that sentence with a scenario or whatever. Um, I used to, in school, I like, get really annoyed at teachers 
that would go ahead and explain it over and over and over again in different ways so people get it. I'm like, mm -hmm. you said it once, let's move on to the next thing. Just give me the information. And I kind of value people's time tremendously. I'm very, very big into um, valuing people's time because that's one thing people don't get back. Right. Um, and I feel like if I could write something in one line as opposed to writing it in 20 lines, that is the best way I could show respect to the people who are reading my, my content. Um, do I ever mess up? Do I ever write too long? I mean, sometimes I write really long stuff, but I try not to. Um, again, that's the whole motion thing too. It's like you don't have emotion when you're writing. You can just write short and not explain why you think X versus Y and just this is what people are saying and this is, you know, what you should watch out for. Um, but you also, when I, you know, when I started working with Danny Sullivan, um, those, my articles at Search Engine Land are typically longer just because it's a more polished site than Search Engine Roundtable. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I worked for Danny Sullivan, he told me one thing is to always, um, when you write, make sure to answer, you know, give the person what they want to hear right in the first paragraph. Don't make them wait. Yeah. Um, and that's um, something I'm not, I have no journalistic background. I never, if you ask any of my teachers um, in high school or college that I would be writing, that people would be reading what I'm writing, um, that they would probably laugh at you. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so one other cool thing you did that I wanted to mention and have you talk about a little bit was your honor and SEO SEM series, uh, which ran from late 2017 to 2018. Uh, that was a pretty brilliant idea. I thought, uh, tell me where that idea came from and, uh, sort of just looking back your overall thoughts on how it went. Yeah. I mean, the problem is, is a lot of, like we discussed before that our industry is pretty, um, interesting. There's, people who argue a lot about different topics. I don't know if it's other industries as well, um, but we have a very tight knit industry and people sometimes um, take things too personally on some level. Mm -hmm. And this is probably around the time where I think maybe we lost, um, I don't know, I don't know if it was Eric Ward or somebody to, you know, mental mm -hmm. illness or whatever it might be. Right. And I, sometimes it's like people like, I, I just, like sometimes you like go back and say, I wish this person would have known how important they are to the industry or to their colleagues or to whoever. And I thought if I could go ahead and just, you know, spend, you know, five, 10 minutes a day, just taking, you know, one person in the industry and writing about their contributions, it might be something that they will look at and be like, all right, uh, people do like me, people do value me. Um, and, you know, it's something worth, you know, living on for. And if they don't have that mental, um, you know, illness or whatever, and it, it, then it's just good. It's good for them to point to their people on their resumes, uh, for them to find new jobs. Uh, one thing I've learned over the years is that the things that we, meaning us publishers, you and uh, the people who have, who people who read our stuff, we kind of have, and I've never understood this, it still doesn't make sense to me, but people kind of value what we write and it does help people um, professionally uh, climb the ladder and get better jobs and um, maybe have more self-confidence in themselves. So things that we might say about somebody might be very important for them in in their professional career. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, it's kind of twofold and it's around, you know, obviously it kind of sparks from people, you know, um, having mental illness issues um, and depression, anxiety, and this helping, potentially helping them. I don't, again, I don't know much about the topic, um, but I felt it might just help. Um, mm -hmm. And two is it also might, it, otherwise it might just help their careers um if, if not it's fine it's it is what it is but I think it didn't right. hurt i don't think absolutely um and i think shortly after that i did something like with matt cuts um 
um, when he lost his wife. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if you remember that, the how could, how, um, how has Matt Cuts helped you kind of website. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we got hundreds and hundreds of submissions, I believe. Yep. Um, it was great. I mean, the, the cool thing is Matt emailed me, contacted me. He's like, I don't know if you know this, but my father checks that website every single day. <laughs> he, you know, he refreshes and he, he reads it, and that's probably more important to Matt than people, what the people were saying themselves to him. So it was, uh, it's meaningful when you can actually make a difference in people's lives. It's it's meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, excellent. Okay, so let's move on. Um, another thing that you're pretty well known for is your weekly video news recap series. Um, I believe you've been doing that since 2007. Am I correct there? Somewhere around there. Yeah, I think it's about yeah, about 12 years or so. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing, too. So tell us a little bit about that and uh, sort of what you like to, you know, do in these videos. So I initially started them as text recaps, where I just, like, recap what happened over the past, what I wrote about over the past week. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, you know what, maybe I'll start doing a YouTube video with a podcast. So I did that. I think a few months later, I started making a weekly video of it. It's pretty boring to watch unless you love search. Um, but I basically just quickly run down hopefully within 10 about 10 minutes or so the most important topics that uh that i wrote about over the past week at search engine roundtable um i've tested numerous cameras over the years um and i pretty must have fairly con- consistent with that as well i try not to miss a week um but it's 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 also, also good one of the things i realized is that when I probably written over 50,000 stories on search, I don't always remember what I write over the years, mm-hmm. but re like summarizing what you write, like on a weekly basis, I also do a weekly, I also do a monthly recap of the Google news. Um, it helps me remember, Oh wait, I forgot about that story. That's really important and so forth. So I find it's also useful for me to remember things as well as for those who have very busy weeks and they don't have time to read the, I don't know, 30 stories I post or 40 stories I post in a week, mm-hmm. they can just get a quick summary of it. That's one good way of helping the community as well. Right. Yeah, and it is pretty amazing too. You know, I get tweeted on a lot of uh, stuff with you and people are like, is this new? Is this new? And you're always like, nope, cover that three years ago or whatever. So it's, it's, it's pretty pretty incredible, you know, hearing you say that you forget stuff because it feels like on Twitter you've never forgotten a thing that's ever happened. <laughs> Um, it, it's, it's, ha- I mean, again, I've, I have a search box and searching around table, not just for the audience, but for myself as well. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can quickly search something just like anybody who asked me a question, they can quickly go on searches around table, use the search box and find something. Right. Um, so I don't necessarily remember everything. Um, but I know how to search my, the way, I guess my own site. Right. Um, so yeah, that's fun. Very cool. Um, and you've also just started a new vlog series, video blog series on your site where you're, you've been interviewing some industry folks. I saw you were just chatting with uh, Mike Green uh, recently and some other great people in the industry. So uh, where did that idea come from for you? And uh, sort of how, what have you been thinking of that series so far? Are you having fun with that? It's a lot of fun. It's uh, very time consuming and somewhat expensive to do. Um, but um, it's a lot of fun. The, the idea really came up because I saw this cool uh, camera, a DJI, DJI pocket camera, I think it's called. I forgot the exact name of it. And I'm like, I'm going to buy, I buy gadgets all the time. I'm just obsessed with buying gadgets mm-hmm. and I don't even use them. So I have like the, I have drones. I have all these things in my office that I never even use. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to use it. So I'm like, you know, maybe I'll just start doing vlogging, but I'm not really, I never spend the time. To, you know me, I'm never at the parties. I'm never, Sure. I'm not a real social person. I guess that comes with writing a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're the same. I don't know if you're the same way, um, but I usually like you know write and stand in the corner or something like that. 
Um, but now it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. I felt like, all right, maybe of a continuation of the, um, that, that series I did a couple of years ago with helping, you know, how, how, I forgot what I called it, how SEOs, probably, what was it called? <laughs> the uh, SEO oh, series. Honor, honor and SEO, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Honor and SEO series. Yep. So I thought it was kind of a continuation where I kind of go to that SEO, SEM's office. I try to travel there mm -hmm. um, and ask them about who they are, what they do, talk about an SEO, SEM topic that interests them, and then give a, you know, a quick way for people to contact them and reach out to them. Mm -hmm. um, it helps them, again, professionally. Um, it, it's also fun for them you know, to have a conversation about search with, with myself and with other people who know what they're talking about. Hopefully, I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's a lot of fun. And then you publish it and doing all the B-roll stuff and making it somewhat exciting with you know, all this motion lap stuff and, and all this other, you know, it's more of a vloggy type of um, solution as opposed to just a weekly standing in front of a camera and showing your screen of what you covered. It's more of a fun way of bringing in SEO topics into the space. And that, that again, that help individual SEOs and SEMs, hopefully with their career. Um, I know multiple people told me they got new clients out of it um some one or two got new jobs out of it so um again that's all that that's, that's the main reason we do this stuff is to really help the seo community and sem community awesome so let's see you've reported on so many big stories over the years and i'm this may be an impossible question for you to answer but i'll try is there any like one or two maybe stories in particular that stand out as your favorites from all the years that you've been covering the search industry um that just off the top of your head one story that stands out from all the other <laughs> like, 50,000 plus stories. Yeah, Maybe. exactly. I know. That's why I'm like, oh, is that a pot? Can he even answer that? I don't know, but I figured I'd ask. <laughs> um, something maybe that you're super proud of. Yeah. I don't know if I'm proud of. Um, proud of. I mean, the Honor SEO thing was something that was nice. The vlogging is fun. Mm -hmm. um, not, I mean, the one specific post that kind of comes to mind is the one post I ever, I ever used the robots. I saw the robots.txt file to block a page. I never imagined this, but like a girlfriend basically went ahead. If you want to check it out, it's the one page in the robots.txt file in searching around table. Mm -hmm. So basically I saw a thread of a upset, I think, boy, uh, family where they complained that I guess their high school, they're, they're, they had a son and his son had a girlfriend and the girlfriend got upset with the boyfriend mm -hmm. and that girlfriend went ahead and, created all these photo memes about the boyfriend with the boyfriend's photo. Mm -hmm. And it had just had like weird like things like a, it was basically a normal class photo. I think the photo looked normal with just all these memes about how bad the, the kid, the boyfriend was or something like that. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. I have this high school kid who knows it's back in like, this is like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I have this high school kid who's going to Google and spamming Google images just to get back at their boyfriend. This is a great SEO story. <laughs> and I, I posted about it. And then all of a sudden it went on, it got to TMZ and to crazy news sense of places. And it was all over the news. And I'm like, why does anybody care about this? Mm -hmm. But it got so much traffic. The family called me, the boy, the, the, their son was so upset. Can I remove it? I'm like, I didn't expect anybody but a small SEO community to look at this. So I went ahead and blocked it. And like, kind of, kind of got rid of the story as much, but it was all over the news. It was literally being covered by like Channel 4 News. You name it. It was all over the place. Wow. Um, and it was, I don't know why, but that was kind of like, wow. Um, what we do in the search industry was kind of important. Mm -hmm. uh, I had about 2.5 seconds on Brian Williams before he was um, – I guess going through his in the earlier days when Brian Williams was um, 
not going through a scandal right. uh, or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Um, yep. That was for over, I think that was over universal search or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, there's not one specific story that I'm necessarily proud of. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't That's fair. Um, and again, you know, this is a lot of people had similar questions for you. And I think this is the one everybody wants to know. And I, I'm guessing you can't reveal it, but what is your secret to productivity and time management? Like everyone wants to know, how do you manage to write all this content, do all these videos, do all the stuff you're doing? Like, how is there like something that you can share with people so they can like be as productive as you are? Um, it's in my blood. I don't know. It's not that like I mean, I just I work very hard. I say everybody probably thinks they work hard as well, mm-hmm. and most people do, I guess. Especially our the American culture is people work really, really hard. Um, I, I work hard. I'm, I'm, I'm crazy about efficiencies. I mean, I, you know, small little things like, you know, why, like, even like if when I get into my house and I walk up the stairs, I won't walk up the stairs until I do what I need to do in that level before I go to the next level. Cause there's no reason to go back downstairs. It's like stupid things that <laughs> I'm just you know, crazy about. Um, so it's just about little things about efficiencies and mostly about being consistent. Like if you don't have a routine, um, you just probably won't get things done. If you see my writing, if you look at when I write and when I publish, you see it's a very consistent basis. Like mm-hmm. I'll always usually write between, you know, 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. in the morning. And after that, I probably most likely won't write unless something, you know, crazy happens. I usually mm-hmm. post that weekly Friday video around, I don't know, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning on Friday mornings. I post my weekly vlog around 8.30 to 9 o'clock in the morning on Wednesdays. So it's a being a very scheduled, um, having that consistent routine, I think is very, very helpful um, with anything as well as just me personally being very efficient about what I do. Um, I built my internal tools to track certain things, of course, um, which is kind of a secret sauce, but it's not anything crazy or very, you know, that, that secret. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of hustle. It sounds like, um, Cool. All right. So let's go back a little bit and just how for fill in people for how you sort of get into SEO. So what, what sort of got you interested in SEO in the early days and um, how did that eventually transition into writing about SEO? Yeah, I mean, so my company does web development. We've been doing it since like early uh, mid 90s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think one client came to us in like 1999, 2000s, asking about how search engines work, and then I, you know, kind of like sprung my interest. So searched on uh, search engines, found some communities, um, read some some books. I guess like one is like Mike Grahan's book from the early days, and Sharif Thoreau's book, and some other people's books, as well as um, joining the different communities online, mm-hmm. Joe Williams community, um, SEO Chat, Webmaster World. Um, Jim's World, a bunch of these old communities, obviously reading what Danny Sullivan wrote back in the day at Search Engine Watch and so forth. So um, I probably joined the SEO community probably in late 2000. Mm-hmm. Started writing in the community in 2003. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I think it's like most people in the industry, they were doing something, something like came up where somebody asked them about how does this work? And they got into it. I guess the newer people in the industry um, are looking for jobs in marketing and they may have gotten their jobs through um, a marketing agency. But with the, some of the earlier people, earlier generations of SEOs, it was more about somebody asked, like, you know, how do I get more traffic to my website? How do I get, how do I rank well in Alta Vista or something like that? <laughs> back then. So it's basically just joining the, the different communities online and 
figuring it out and playing with it, watching those Google dances and page rank updates, or even before that, um, looking at, you know, alt text and title tags and content in a page ratios type of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's been, it was a fun, fun ride in the early days um, mm -hmm. SEO. Gotcha. So uh, did Rusty Brick sort of start out as Rusty Brick or was it you just sort of doing freelancing work or how did that all sort of start for you? So Rusty Brick um, has always been Rusty Brick since we, my brother and I, I have a twin brother, Ronnie, he's on okay. the website as well. Okay. Um, and in high school, he loved to program and stuff. So back in, 90, in the early 90s, nobody really like loved to program in high school. Uh, so right. <laughs> um, he was doing that. I'm like, we had some like, I think our first website was like a Chinese, local Chinese food shop um, in the area. And then it kind of like sprung off from there where like people were coming to us and Ronnie and myself and saying, could you make this for our company or make that for our company? And then over time, we just started to build more and more software that was web-based driven. So now they call it cloud software, right. SaaS software. Mm -hmm. um, and we're pretty much now a full-fledged, you know, 20-something person New York development shop that builds custom software uh, for mobile applications, from mobile applications to desktop software that is completely cloud-based, you know, running on Amazon and so forth, uh, that type of infrastructure. Um, so that's how we kind of started. The name Rusty Brick was in 1994 when we were when we were 14 years old, um, sitting in sitting in high school in high school class. My brother made up the name, uh, just two words put together. There's no real story behind it. Uh -huh. um, it's just really two words put together that uh, went after his initials, um, and it kind of grew from there organically. Hmm. Very cool. Uh, so, so what sort of made you grow? Was it just a case where it's like you guys were seeing so many, uh, you know, so much business that you couldn't handle it all, so you naturally had to like grow your agents or well, your company, or um, was it yeah. sort of a plan from the beginning to turn this into a big, to like a you know a bigger business beyond just you two? Like I said in the beginning, there are no goals. It was basically just organically grown. So gotcha. Okay. Everything. Everything. I don't like. I don't know why people do. It's important for people to have goals, uh, because otherwise they won't necessarily hit those goals or work towards those goals. But with my, I guess, nature, it's again, it's about being consistent, having a routine, and with that, I don't necessarily need those goals. And basically, it's just organically grew. We had more clients coming to us, more work, and we had to grow the team mm -hmm. uh, to support those client requests. We don't have any sales reps in our company. Not that sales reps are bad. I'm just saying we don't do any sales or marketing mm -hmm. uh, for it's all pretty much client referrals uh, or people hearing from uh, of us through some of the things we built for the mobile apps we built for the community or some software that we sell directly and so forth. Cool. Okay. So looking back on how your company has evolved over the years and all you've learned along the way, is there any advice you could maybe pass along to people listening who maybe want to start their own business? You know, it could be like things they should avoid, obstacles that they'll have to face and overcome, just any sort of insights or tips you may have for people? Um, well, uh, one thing is it's a lot easier to do it when you're younger. There's less, um, there's less um, risk. So you know, there are people who have built companies, you know, when they have built their own, when they have their own families and they have their expenses that are at their highest point. Um, I was able to do it when we were in high school living at my parents' house and they're in a garage and so forth. So mm. one thing is if you're younger and you're living to this and you don't have any expenses, you don't have a family and you're itching to do this, it's probably the best time to do it now. Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to after you get married and have, you know, two kids and a dog and a, and a mortgage and so forth. Um, so that's definitely... Uh, one of my recommendations, of course, you can't control your age and 
right, at this point when you're listening to it. Um, two is, uh, I think culture is very important. Company culture is incredibly important in the company. Um, making sure um, that the, obviously the culture that you set for the company um, comes down to each and every employee you hire and making sure they're all on the same page as you. Um, employees easily, toxic employees could easily hurt the culture of the company fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and hiring is, is a hard thing to do, especially in New York where I'm competing with hiring engineers against Google and Facebook who all have offices not far from my office mm-hmm. uh, when you're going to drive. So I'm kind of competing in that t- uh, talent pool. But if you can make a, a very good work experience, a work environment uh, for people, make it more family driven, you could definitely compete at least on that level. Um, and that's, that's important that the, the employees are very important. I always say to my, to my employees and my customers and so forth that, you know, happy employees make for happy customers and happy clients, because, you know, you want to make sure that your, your employees are motivated to build the best possible software, best do the best possible job, uh, for you, your, your customers and clients. And if they come back and the clients are happy and the, the, the cycle is just amazing. Happy clients make happy employees and happy employees make happy clients. And that cycle and is very, very important. I think the culture um, helps with that because without that, it's kind of like working for a toxic environment and you don't, you don't want to do that. If we've, we've seen lots of, you know, um, customers we worked for and maybe they got bought or sold and things change very fast in the company and that environment. Um, and it's hard to produce good work when your employees are not happy. Um, and ultimately it just creates a cycle of unhappy employees don't do great work. And then the, the customers aren't happy and so forth. So ultimately um, you want to make sure that your customers are happy, but I think the best way to do that is to make sure your employees are happy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you mentioned hiring in there a little bit. I was wondering if maybe you might have any tips for people um, or if there's anything maybe you've learned in terms of, you know, is there a way to spot someone who may be a, you know, a trouble employee versus someone who might be a potential rock star? Like, are there any questions that you can ask during the hiring process or is there the same thing, like a, maybe a skill you look for when you're hiring or something else? Um, there's obviously skills we're looking for when we mm-hmm. hire. Um, obviously, they have to be technically proficient in what we want to program in um, mm-hmm. our, our, you know, our lamp stack environment. Um, but it's also culture is very important. You can tell by their personality, mm-hmm. um, you know, quickly if they are going to be a team player. Are they going to be like, I'd rather not hire somebody who thinks they know it all um, versus somebody who maybe knows a little bit less um, because you don't want them to kind of ruin the culture. Like I said, Mm. um, culture is, I think is even more important than um, maybe their technical. I've I've not hired people because I thought they would be a problem in terms Mm. of company culture. Gotcha. Okay. All right, let's move on to SMX. Uh, You've obviously spoken and moderated and even coordinated them. Um, So is there any advice that you could share with people who may want to speak at SMX or another conference? Um, So, yeah, I mean, uh, you can hear me still, I'm sorry? Yeah, you can hear me. Mm -hmm. All right, perfect, sorry. Um, I had to switch my earphones. Um, so basically, yeah, XMX, we have, there is a pitch form. Um, you could definitely go ahead and submit to that pitch form. Um, it's always good to, uh, one of maybe the tips that you, people might not know outside of submitting to the pitch form is that it's important to reach out to those coordinating and moderating this, the sessions to say, Hey, I see you have a session on this and this topic. 
um, maybe you're looking for a speaker on that topic. And um, if you could prove to them that you're a real expert in that area on that topic, maybe they will go ahead and uh, push you to the front of that list. So often when we go ahead and push uh, publish a uh, speaker uh, form, a pitch form, that we'll get like, I don't know, dozens of people um, trying to get in and trying to win that pitch. Sure. Um, personally, me, I don't even like to look at the pitch form. I kind of like to reach out and see who knows that topic either uh, through people I know in the community or through articles they've written on different websites, um, maybe YouTube videos they published or maybe presentations they gave elsewhere. Um, so I personally try to look before, you know, before we actually publish the schedule uh, to find quality speakers before we even publish anything. Um, I don't know if there's any specific tips. I mean, obviously you want to prevent prevent something that's unique. You want to be authoritative. You should have all those EAT things in, in your right. uh, in your submissions. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, there's no real tips. You have to stand out from the crowd, I think. Yep. Okay. All right. Now let's move on to awards. Uh, you've won a couple of big awards in the last couple of years. Um, just wanted to ask you about those. So let's start with the U.S. Search Personality of the Year. Um, sort of. How did did that mean anything special to you? Was that a fun night? What, what's your what's your best memory of winning that award? Yeah, it meant absolutely nothing to me. Not me sure. No, the thing is, it's like I kind of saw it coming because if it was if it wasn't a clear surprise, so I kind of knew it was coming. So obviously, when I first kind of had an inkling that it was coming, like I got like three emails from people saying, "Are you coming to PubCon?" And you say, "Yes." Okay, could you please come to the search to the search awards show? I'm like, you know, I hate, I'm not, I hate going to parties and social events. You know that. Like, no, just do me a favor. Come, I'll get you. I'll get you a seat. It'll be fun. I, obviously, I knew something was up. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't submit. I didn't submit to be part of any contest or anything like that. Um, and luckily, this that year it actually worked out where um, it wasn't on a Jewish holiday. Usually, PubCon ends up to be on a Jewish holiday. Uh, um, this year, it's actually on Yom Kippur, probably the most uh, mm -hmm. holiest, holiest Jewish holidays. And I told them when I won that search award last year that if you want me to like transfer, like hand over the tiara to somebody else. Make sure not to put it on Yom Kippur because it looked like it was going to be on that date. Mm -hmm. um, they're like, "All right, we'll see what we can do." But um, so I won't be at PubCon this year or the Search Awards to hand over the tiara because it's a holiday. So I apologize in advance, but I did give it <laughs> over to um, Alyssa, who's going to go ahead and hand it over for me on my behalf. I think um, so. It should be all good. But in terms of yeah, I mean, it's incredibly meaningful. I mean, you can't you can't put a, a value on that when your peers that you you know you've been writing for like fifteen plus years about a topic and you're so involved in the community um, to have your peers actually go ahead and say, Hey, you know, you win one of these awards. Like, and it's a pretty, you know, pretty impressive award in general in, our, in a community. I thought that was very touching and very, very, I think it was humbling. I mean, it was beyond humbling to, to win something like that. Um, um, it shows, it shows a lot. It shows that people, you know, like what you do and, and they have, um, it's not just people who are trolling you in the comments <laughs> section saying, you know, you suck or whatever. There are people who actually uh, like um, and respect what you do. And that award kind of showed that on some level, um, beyond some level, it was beyond, it was just beyond. So I was very honored. Awesome. And then of course there was more, you won the outstanding community services award from, from search and land, um, of course your employer. So was that, uh, was that one a surprise for you? It was until like the day before. Ah. <laughs> um, 
Um, I kind of, somebody like kind of like slip, let it slip. Um, but yeah, it was also, for that, I knew it was coming as well the day before. And it was also an honor to be, you know, given that award by somebody you work with, because mm-hmm. usually you don't, you don't want to give somebody an award um, if you work with them because they're part of the company. It's kind of looks, people are frown, frowned upon that type of stuff. So um, it probably took a lot of consideration to say, hey, should we actually give somebody who works for us an award like this? Because um, it kind of looks bad, I guess, on some level, because it looks like it's paid for, I guess, or on some level. Uh, but I got it with Greg Sterling. And getting it with Greg Sterling, who's been giving the SEO community out, he's probably one of the most underrated personalities in our community, I think. Um, it was very meaningful with me, to me. It was sharing an award with him was incredibly meaningful. Mm-hmm. And even saw, if you saw the video of, of, of Chris Elwell's speech, um, hearing what he had to say and coming from his heart. I mean, he even got, a, he sounded like he was getting emotional up there, tearing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that speech was incredibly uh, touching. Um, and again, very humbling and, you know, it was really nice. It was, it was, a, it was a, both were wonderful, wonderful awards to win. More importantly, you know, speaking, you know, being part of the community is even more important to me. I don't really need the awards or want the awards, but it's always obviously nice to be recognized here and there. Absolutely. All right. Here's a fun question for you. Um, and you don't have to reveal any secret sauce, of course, here, but what current resources do you read or might you be able to recommend to people who want to learn about SEO or digital marketing and help advance their career like we've been talking a little bit about here? Could be people, blogs, podcasts. What do you, what do you, what do you enjoy to to read? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I assume it's hard for you to answer that question too. Um, yeah. When you're in the weeds so much and you've been writing about this topic for so long, I kind of it's hard for me to like step back and say, somebody new who needs to learn SEO, where should they go? I mean, the obvious answers are read. You know, Google has their own SEO guide. They have their uh, search quality raters guidelines help um, help document which is like 160 something pages in a PDF. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the Moz beginner guide. There's a bunch of beginner guides out there. If you just Google SEO beginner guides, it's a good way to start. I think um, mm-hmm. there's probably tons of books out there now. Uh, I don't want to call out any specific books because there's literally probably tons of them. Um, but I think between you know the Moz guide, the Google guide. Um, I know at Search Engine Land, we have our SEO periodic table mm-hmm. that we put a lot of time and effort into to explaining how search works. And I think it does a pretty good and fun way of explaining how, how search works. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say, you know, I'm so in the weeds, it's hard for me to say that this might be easier for a newbie to, to learn SEO or that. Uh, when probably you and I grew up in the community, there wasn't really a, I mean, Danny Sullivan has his guide to the search engines. Uh, but there wasn't really like one or two guides you could point to and say, you read this, you pretty much get a good grasp of what's going on. You really had to go to the communities, ask a bunch of questions, try things out, experiment and so forth. And the truth is once you learn SEO, um, what works on one site might not work on another site. Um, and most of SEO is really trying things out and seeing how search engines react to it um, with understanding the guidelines. Probably the first thing you probably should read after you get the beginner stuff done is the Google guidelines. So you don't go ahead and get yourself in trouble. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, it's really about trial and error. Absolutely. Cool. Okay. Uh, now, was there ever a point in your career where you found yourself struggling a little bit? Um, you know, I don't know what it may be. Maybe you've lost, you lost a big client or something. Um, how did you deal with it and overcome it? And what did you learn from it? Hmm. Um, struggled. 
Yeah, I mean, we all have struggles. Um, one thing I really can't talk about, um, unfortunately. Uh, I would love to talk about it, but I'm not legally allowed to. It was a great thing for me personally and for my company. Um, but I'm not allowed. It was probably one of the tougher things I had to do. Um, mm -hmm. and, or maybe one day I'll, I'll be able to write about it. Um, not sure when. And I think... It was going through that perspective is, is very interesting. And I think I will share that story as soon as I'm legally allowed to. It was a good thing. Nobody has to worry. Mm -hmm. probably the best, people, it was one of probably the best things that could possibly have happened to me ever. Um, but it also was a massive struggle um, to, to go through that process. Okay. Um, outside of that, um, yeah, I mean, we've had customers that have gotten acquired. Some of those acquisitions leads to more work from us. Some of them that leads to that work being brought in-house, um, that's always hard to lose a client, especially when you do great work for them and they get acquired and they decide, hey, you know what, we're gonna bring it in-house. Um, but, you know, the main thing is I've learned is to make sure to diversify your clients as much as possible, diversify your stream of income and revenue as much as possible. Um, and for us, that was based on bringing as many different uh, customers as possible and diverse sets of projects as possible, not just on the consulting side, but also build products uh, where people pay a fee for those products. Either they, they pay a one-time fee for it, they pay a subscription fee for it, they pay a per-use fee for it. So not just do consulting for other people and charge hourly or flat rates or type of type project basis, but also build tools or other solutions that people could subscribe to and you could have some ongoing residual income. Um, you know, with me, it's like my, I do, we do a lot of things. So outside of people who are listening to this podcast probably just know about the search stuff that I write about. And while I do get paid uh, for the stuff I do at Search Engine Land, and I do make a little bit of money on the ad side on Search Engine Roundtable, mm -hmm. um, it's not my source of income. And that's really nice to say. I mean, I really like to be able to write what I want without having, any, having anything over my head in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, you have to write about this because of that, or you have to write it this way because you I might lose a sponsor, or you, um, when Google writes about this strategy that it's no longer allowed, um, that my firm was using that strategy and I have to go put a slant to it. I don't have any of that bias when I write. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I'm able to test stuff too. So right. um, I'm, I think not being in a position where um, I have to rely on the income that I make from my search blogging um, gives me a different perspective than probably probably 99% of, of the writers out there. Um, my opinion, I could be wrong, um, but I think most people do work for agencies or do their own consulting um, and they also write. Um, so I have that writing stuff that brings in some income. Again, it's not critical. I have my consulting company that brings in that income. We also have multiple products that we sell that bring in other sources of income. Um, and we do apps, but we sell apps as well that bring in income. Um, and then speaking gigs and stuff, stuff like that. So the, uh, we try, try to diversify. My recommendation is try to diversify as much as possible, mm -hmm. not just by having as many clients as possible. Because um, I've heard of some cost, uh, co companies going bankrupt after they lost their big customer and they couldn't continue. And that's yeah. a scary thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay. So we'll move on. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit bit about Danny Sullivan. You mentioned him a couple times. So in 2017, of course, Danny left Search Engine Land and Third Door uh, Media to join Google. So I was curious about what your reaction was at the time, and how do you think Danny has been doing in his new role, new role as the search liaison for Google? Yeah, I mean, so when Danny Sullivan told us the news, and he told us the news several months ahead of time in terms of him deciding to leave Search Engine Land and company, 
Um, he was he was sad. It was like you know, you know, kind of leaving a family, I guess, on some level. Mm. Um, but he wanted to do something else. He was tired of writing about search for over 20 years mm-hmm. and he wanted to do something else. So we respected that. Although we were all very, very sad for him to go. Um, we respected that. I didn't know ahead of time that he got um, a job offer at Google. I do know that that job offer came later after his decision, after he publicly announced that he was leaving search engine land, um, that, that job interview, I guess, came after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he, it was a way for him to make a change from within Google, but not just in terms of being outside of Google and making changes or being influential, but being influential within Google and also being able to write about search from within Google with having access directly to the engineers who make those features. Mm-hmm. So I think it was uh, something that probably would be for most people who write about search, um, especially the way he wrote. I mean, I, I write about, S- I, I, I kind of focus more on the SEO side. He focused more on how search works side. Mm-hmm. I think for him, it was kind of like a no brainer, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't know much about the deal or whatever, but it gave him some per- perspective that he didn't have before for 20 plus years um, writing about search from outside of Google. Um, so I think it was a unique opportunity and I think he decided to take it, obviously. He did take it. Um, and I think he's, I mean, last time I spoke to him about it, I think he was super happy. He loved uh, working for Google. The company was great. The access he had was amazing. Um, and also, he didn't have the pressures of running his own company. Um, employees <clears throat> and all mm-hmm. the stuff that goes along with it. I don't, most people don't, uh, most people who don't own companies, at least of, of scale, like, you know, 20 plus people, don't realize the pressures that come along with running that company. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their, their stresses and so forth about, oh, I got to hit these numbers or these metrics and these KPIs. But when it comes to doing payroll or maybe a legal issue you might have or whatever it might be, that stress is beyond. Like, it's not like it's just like you have to make put food on the table for your family. You got to put food on the table for your employees. You got to cover their insurance. You got to um, make sure all the legal issues are taken care of. Um, and also dealing with upset employees, I guess. I mean, there's all this stuff that mm-hmm. happens in a company that you have to deal with. Of course, he has a great team behind him, but it wasn't his company more that he had to necessarily worry about. Um, and I think him working at Google um, gives him more of a, it's probably a less stressful job, I would think. Uh, I remember speaking with uh, Wiz, I don't know if you remember him. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the early days, and he was walking around Googleplex with him. And I was telling, you know, we're talking about like technology and stuff. And we, and I told him how we built our own internal PBX system. And then a hacker got in and started making tons of phone calls overseas using our PBX. Oh, like, oh my God, I don't even think about that. Google takes care of my laundry. Google does all this for me. I don't handle all of this. We just get a phone number. Mm-hmm. Like, we've got to worry about every tiny detail uh, because it all lands on you as the owner of the company to deal with this stuff. No matter mm-hmm. how small or how large it is, it's all on your shoulders. Um, and I think, I think for him, it was something that was a good move at his age, I guess, um, at, his, at his point in his career. Of course, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I, I don't, I, it's, that's my gut feeling. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't tell me any of this stuff internally. I, I just, I, 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 if, if I had to guess, this is, I think he's pretty happy. Sure. Um, at least I, last time I spoke to him, he was extremely happy and about this topic and back in like two years ago, probably, or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and he still seems happy. Of course, he has to deal with all the anti-Googlers who are constantly yeah. giving more time and explain title tags and how meta description link doesn't matter and how DA is not part of the Google algorithm, <laughs> all that type of stuff. But um, I, he kind of signed up for all this. So. 
Yep. Yeah, it was it was one of those surreal moments too. I think you wrote the post that I'll, I'm probably referencing here, where there was a day when Matt Cutts was complaining about something Google search to Danny Sullivan instead of the other way around. Yeah, I think I yeah. put like my world's upside down or something yeah. like that. Yeah, 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 I remember that. So yeah, do you have a favorite um, uh, memory of working with Danny or any of your time? Uh, you know, either search engine watch, search engine land. The, sort of sticks out for you, favorite professional memory? Uh, I don't think there's one specific favorite moment. It's just, he's just, it's it's hard to, repl- I don't think we'll ever replace a Danny Sullivan in our industry. No mm-hmm. offense to you, Danny. Oh, I know. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I mean, there was nobody, there yeah. was nobody who could come close to his writing style, mm-hmm. his passion, the way he connected with people. Um, it was something that I don't think we'll ever see again mm-hmm. um, in our industry. Uh, and working with him on a daily basis was something that I will never, you know, I, I think that will be the, probably one of the bigger highlights in my, in my you know, professional career is working with somebody like that. Um, seeing his rants on public, his public rants when he wrote about different search features and how he complained about certain things around Google and the way he ranted off, like he'll go on for literally his articles will go on forever and ever. And he literally write <laughs> that in like, Five minutes. It'd be amazing. <laughs> um, and then also seeing his private rants when people would email him things uh, to the search engine land email list or e- email form, and seeing him rant back to people. I'm like, why do you even spend the time? But he was already long-winded rants back to people about certain things. Those are things I probably miss uh, miss a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and also our you know, our phone conversations. You know, our weekly or biweekly phone conversations about what's going on and so forth. He's He's a, just an amazing, he was an amazing leader, amazing writer. Um, and I do miss tremendously, I, you probably know, I've missed tremendously working with him. And I think the community sure. misses him tremendously also from reading his writing. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's see, how about, what is, was there like a, a piece of SEO or professional advice that's been given to you that sort of helped you or stuck out um, over the years? And if so, who gave it to you? Um. So I guess in the SEO front, um, one thing that kind of stuck out at me was when I had a conversation with Amin Singhal, the former VP of Google Search. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in, a, I had a meeting with him about something years and years ago, and I was kind of upset. Like the Google launched a feature, and he's like, he got, he kind of looked at me, and he was like, "We our responsibility is to our searchers. If we don't satisfy their queries." we're not gonna be around tomorrow. So he's like, stop thinking about it from an SEO perspective, think about it from how can we best satisfy the searcher experience? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a sec, I, you know, I never really kind of, I was always so in the SEO mindset mm-hmm. about, and I never really like stood back and say, you know what? He has a point, you know? They have a goal of accomplishing what's best for the searcher. And they have to kind of balance the line of the ecosystem of making the publisher happy because they produce the content that Google uses making the advertisers happy because they have to obviously put food on the table and so forth. And then of course, making the searcher happy because that's the one that actually clicks on the ad and so forth. So that was a pretty thing that I like, all right, I gotta kind of, maybe it'd be better for me to think about things, not just from the SEO perspective, but also kind of put my feet, my shoes in the feet of people, searchers and seeing what's best for them um, because that's also an important perspective. So I think that was probably on the SEO front, you know, thinking about why Google makes changes mm-hmm. outside of SEO is kind of something that I felt was pretty, pretty interesting. 
Hmm, definitely. Cool. Okay. How about let's flip that around. Uh, what's the worst piece of SEO advice that you've ever heard or that you continue to hear and you're like, my God, why is this, <laughs> why am I still hearing this in 2019? Um, I think still people, I mean, the biggest thing is selling links for uh, based on, used to be page rank links. Uh, but mostly I think like DA now, it's like people mm. just keep selling links like with DA values and how important that is. It's, mm -hmm. it's upsetting to, to hear that. I mean, you know, people just spend so much time focusing around getting certain types of links and DA versus trying to create content that attracts that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, which reminds me of the SEO advice I give on a generic level to people. It's kind of like one of these cheesy remarks, but when I got hit with the Panda penalty, one one of the Panda updates, Google's like, maybe you should go ahead and do a survey on your website and see what people think. So I'm like, you know what? Good idea. I put a Google survey on my website and asked people what they thought. And I published those results. And based on the results, I made absolutely zero changes to my website. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then my result, my, my feedback was, you should go ahead and build a website that Google would be embarrassed not to rank well for its queries, for the relevant queries. And if Google's embarrassed that that website's not ranking for the relevant queries, Google is going to go ahead and change their algorithm to make sure that they are no longer embarrassed by their algorithm not ranking that website for the, for the relevant queries. So you want to build my advice to people is you should build a website that if Google's not ranking it well for the relevant terms that you rank it for, that Google wouldn't be, would be embarrassed if they looked at it manually to say, oh my goodness, this website really should rank better for what it's not for these terms. Mm -hmm. Why is it not? Let's take a look at our algorithm to figure out what's going on. Hmm. Very interesting. I like that. That was really good advice. Uh, let's see. Next one. Let's do another fun one here. If you could uh, go back in time and give your younger self at any age some advice, what would it be? Uh, uh, um, I don't know. <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> um, I don't know. I still, I mean, people give me advice all the time not to work so hard or, um, other things are more important or whatever. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe one day I'll look back at it and say, you know, really, maybe I should have spent more time not working and so forth, um, enjoying life more. Um, thank God I have a wonderful family. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of children. Mm. You know, I'm very blessed financially. I'm very blessed, you know, my career. I'm very blessed with my, my family and every, everything. Um, my community, you know, my personal community and everything, I'm very blessed. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes I maybe work too much and I don't necessarily appreciate all that stuff. So maybe in a few, maybe in 10 years from now, I'll give myself that advice. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm very, I was brought up to work incredibly hard um, mm -hmm. and I don't want to be a burden on my community and I want to make sure to be able to pay what I need to pay for, uh, for my family without being a burden on my community. Um, and sometimes that takes a toll on, I guess, your personal life because you know i'm in the office around 6 a.m i get up super early i don't get home until approximately when the kids actually are in bed mm. um sometimes later um but thank goodness because for my religion i'm offline completely for 25 hours a week from friday night all saturday night um i'm completely offline and that's pretty much dedicated to family so mm. built into my religion gives me that ability to kind of like unplug i'm literally unplugged you can't i can't go online and stuff like that. It used to be like on Jewish holidays where I was offline for like two or three days straight. Mm -hmm. I would literally get sick from not being able to 
be online, not being able to check what's going on with my business, not being able to check what's going on um, in the community or whatever, like this, the professional community. Um, but I've learned to not worry so much as I got older with that. Things tend to work out. Right. All right. Great answer. Um, so for any people who are sort of newer to the industry, um, is there any advice maybe you could give to them in terms of uh, what you've you know, seen over the years, it, you know, it could be skills, it could be, you know, some sort of intangible or whatever the case may be. What do you think it is that makes it possible for some people to have just sustained success in this industry? What's what's the key to having a really good and long and successful career in SEO? I mean, I, I'm a strong believer, like I said numerous times in this, in this call, in this um, podcast. Was, I mean, it's mostly about working hard and being consistent and reliable. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, if you could be consistent, I mean, I think even John Mueller, like said from Google is like when the number one SEO factor outside of like this joke about awesomeness is being consistent. Well, mm -hmm. you know, you want to be a very consistent. And he was talking mostly about making sure your SEO markups like HRF Lang and your canonicals and all that stuff is consistent throughout the website. So you're not having canonicals pointing back to each other and mixed up or HRF Lang all mixed up. Uh, but I will strongly believe consistency um, and being reliable and working incredibly hard uh, is important in any career, um, not just the SEO career, but I think those are important traits to have mm -hmm. um, because, you know, everybody works hard. Um, but if you could just work a little bit harder, I think the truth is you will do better. Mm. Very true. Okay. Is there anything in particular right now in SEO that you're excited about in particular? Um, I don't get excited about anything really. Oh. <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny because like, so like, it's funny people, people know me personally, but like, doesn't, doesn't anything excite you? And people who know me professionally, like I'll sit, a client will call me or I had a meeting with a client and they might give us a brand new, big, massive contract. And I actually had a client come say to me, like, aren't you excited? Do you want this job? I'm like, yeah, I'm happy. I'm really excited. It's good. It's like, so why are you acting like it? I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't really have many emotions. I can't see it in me. Um, mm -hmm. So nothing really personally like excites me. I'm not like, I'm, I'm, I don't get excited about stuff in general. Okay. Um, I do look forward to getting new gadgets and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the, in the industry itself, I mean, I think I'm still looking forward to seeing how voice search evolves over the years. It's a very, it reminds me of the early days of when mobile was just launching or like Google was saying, you gotta get ready for mobile. You gotta get ready for mobile. And Google was saying that for like 10 years. And obviously now we're past that, mm -hmm. but I'm very excited to see how the evolution of, of voice search happens and visual search with Google Lens and different, all that type of stuff. I think augmented reality, I think we're in a really exciting, I'm using air quotes, time uh, for search because it's going well beyond just what you see in front of you with your eyes in terms of the 10 blue links or whatever you see on, on the screen. But it's going well beyond that with voice search and visual search and augmented reality. It's going to be fairly impressive what search is going to be able to do in the next five years compared to what search was doing over the past 20 years. It's going to be mm -hmm. a leaps and bounds and mm -hmm. a very exciting, be pretty interesting to cover the next five years of search compared to the previous 20 years of search. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Let's do a few audience questions now. Um, Got one from Twitter from Colin McDermott of Search Candy. He wanted to know, what was your funniest free SEO consultancy request? I'm not sure if you've had those, but did you ever have like anything super funny or surprising that came in? 
Yes, I don't really. I mean, I guess you said free consulting because people ask me for free advice all the time. Right. Probably I'm sitting, I, and then sitting here, I have like three emails from people. I think <laughs> your audience would love if I sent all my leads to them, or like something like any SEO company would love if I sent my leads to them. But most of these people who are asking for free advice aren't willing to pay for it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, there was something interesting. It wasn't free. So I, sometimes I'll do these hour long, like maybe like five times a year, not more. I'll do an hour long conversation with an SEO team. Um, at a company that's willing to pay me, you know, for an hour of my time, mm -hmm. if they're really, if they're really desperate and they can't figure it out. So I was talking to some, I think, a, a Fortune 500 company's SEO team over the phone. And my rule is, I won't look at anything beforehand because I'll just start the clock and look at it when you tell me. So they, they start the clock. Um, I join the phone call, and they tell me their problem within a minute. And I'm like, uh, you know, you have like a no index, uh, no follow, you know, in your directive in your in your in your Robux TST. They're like, uh, no. I'm like, well, that's your issue. It's right there. Remove it. You'll be good. And I'm like, all right, goodbye. <laughs> and there's like a team of like, I don't know, 10 SEOs working for that Fortune 500 on that company. I assume they're all fired by now. But it was like, <laughs> this is a problem they had for literally months until they actually called me. Um, sometimes the most obvious things, the most things you don't think about mm -hmm. are the things that when you're so involved in SEO, you don't even look at it. And it's kind of funny to, to, to see that sometimes and somewhat sad. Um, the people, I mean, the things that bug me the most are probably the conspiracy theorists that email me and say, Google's doing this so that they could go ahead and influence the elections or Google's doing this so they could go ahead and uh, change global warming or whatever it might be. <laughs> I'm not writing about politics. I'm writing about how search and SEO and what Googlers are saying and what SEOs are saying about different things. I'm not writing about politics. I'm gonna stay far, far away from politics because one is I don't care. And two is um, I'm not going down that path. That's just something I'm trying to stay away from. Yep. Cool, all right. Next question comes from Tony Wright of Wright IMC, who's also a search engine journal contributor. He wanted to know, what is a typical day like for you? Are you spending all of your time on forums? How do you how are you, how do you manage to stay on top of everything search all of the time? Um, yeah, so usually my search stuff, believe it or not, is between the hours of around 6 something a.m. to about 9 a.m. Um, maybe I'll check in here and there throughout the day, but most of my search stuff is done in a two to about two hour window, um, like six something to about eight to nine something, usually but not past 9 a.m. Mm -hmm. And that involves uh, obviously researching the forums and RSS feeds and Twitter and Facebook and so forth and see what's going on. Um, and then writing about it. And I write fast and I read fast. So people are surprised sometimes that how little of, little time I put into it, at least in, time, in terms of time, I mean, it's still two hours a day, mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, my whole day. After nine o'clock, I pretty much try to focus mostly on Rusty Brick. Gotcha. Excellent. Okay. Next question. Brian Harnish of Site Objective, also a search engine journal contributor. He wanted to know what is the most egregious black hat tactic you see talked about nowadays uh, when you dare to wander into the black hat forums? Is there anything that's sort of like a hot black hat trend that we need to <laughs> know about? So the black hat forums that I look at um, are only the public ones. I refuse. I won't look at private forums. Okay. I can't write. I can't write about anything that's private. Right. Well, my my policy is not to write anything about private. People do write things about private stuff. I will not write anything um, that's private. Okay. That means phone phone conversations, meetings, personal, you know, whatever it might be. I won't write about it unless it's printed on Twitter. Or face or printed on Twitter or on forums. Um, 
I mean, the most egregious stuff that you, you know of is people hacking people's people hacking people's sites, mm -hmm. getting injecting links and all that type of stuff into people's sites. You know, it happens all the time. It's upsetting to see, um, but that's probably the worst thing people do, in my opinion, is hacking people's sites to benefit them. Mm -hmm. And he another question for Brian. Uh, as we head toward 2020, are there any search trends you see that you think could impact SEO professionals? And what can we do about them? Uh, so if I'm Rand Fishkin, I would say zero clicks. Um, nothing you could do except for go to Congress and complain. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it goes back to thinking about where Google or search engines have to go to satisfy the searcher and how that's changing with voice search and visual search and augmented reality. Um, it's really about thinking about where the search engines are trying to go. And obviously you trying to get there at the same time or be there before they get there and so, and so forth. So um, obviously a lot of people are thinking about today is schema. That's obviously a very important thing. Uh, but what about in the future past schema is there something beyond schema that you should be looking into? Um, that's something that, you know, what's the, what's the future in five years from now versus what's the future right now? Mm -hmm. um, we actually are having a, an interesting uh, session at XMX East, which I think is in a couple months in New York City. So maybe when this be, when it's going to be published, maybe a week or two later, um, called Future Now, what, in, specifically with local search and what uh, you should be looking at now in terms of the future so that you can prepare for that type of stuff. And, in fact, I even convinced Greg Sterling, who I told you is probably one of the most underrated um, journalists in our industry, mm -hmm. um, to, to actually give a speech on that. And I think it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, so if anybody's in New York City, definitely come to that, that session. Cool. Okay. There's my plug. There you There's go. your plug. Very good. <laughs> Insert my affiliate link, and we're good to go. <laughs> Uh, I had a question from uh, Mr. Lauren Baker, who is the founder of Search and Journal. It's not really a search question, but it was a fun question, so I'm going to ask it. So Lauren says that you're supposedly very good at basketball, so what are some of your favorite shots, and do you have any practicing tips for the parent of a nine-year-old basketball player? <laughs> it's been a running joke, I think, since a search engine journal. I forgot what it was called in earlier, uh, journal-like event like 10 years ago in Florida or something where he was like, let's play ball. I think he's really good at basketball. I'm not sure. Right. He's must be amazing. Well, he's tall, right? Oh, I have a lot of tall people that can't move. <laughs> um, I love, I used to love, especially as a kid, I used to love playing basketball. I probably stopped actively playing maybe like several, several years ago, which wasn't good. I probably, and I'm trying to pick it up again. Um, my favorite shot is like a horse shot is like from behind the basketball hoop. That's one of my favorite shots. Oh, nice. like hitting me from behind the basketball hoop. Um, and for a nine-year-old, it's really about the, in my opinion, um, it goes back to what I've been saying about all my advice is the consistency and, <laughs> and the, the routine of, I remember one summer, all my friends went to sleep away. I did not. And all I did that summer was dribble around town with my weekend. Mm. That's all I did. I just dribbled the basketball around the block all day long with my weekend. Um, and that made my weekend incredibly amazing. And I can go either way or, you know, I can, you know, pass you know, all these things. What do I want to, you know, what am I working on next? And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little uh, funny. It's like a, a little white Jewish kid in a private school competing against other little white Jewish kids in a private <laughs> school. 
the competition wasn't really good there, so I never knew how good I was compared to other people, but I was always one of the best of my school, so that's, that's what matters. <laughs> awesome. Okay, that does it for our audience questions. Uh, my, my last question for you, what's next for Barry Schwartz? What's next? Good question. Um, I don't know. And we keep, I, my company, at least, we keep building out new software um, to help problem areas specifically that we think we can make better. Um, and some of that's in the Jewish world. So probably doesn't, it's not really relevant there. Um, just making an impact. So I think I'm going to keep doing these vlogs, uh, video blogs, where I'm interviewing different people. So if anybody who's listening that wants to be part of that vlog, uh, I think you go to scroundtable.com slash vlog, V-O-L-G. Fill out the form there. I will be in touch when I'm in your area. It could be anywhere. I don't travel internationally too much because um, it's a pain in the neck. But if I, you know, do travel internationally, I'll definitely reach out to you when I do. Um, but I am traveling within the U.S. fairly often. Um, so if I come to your town, I will definitely reach out. I know I just did um, multiple interviews in St. Louis, um, in Boston. I'm going to like Albany region next week. New York City multiple times, so I'm not far from New York City. I'm like 40 minutes away. Hmm. Um, but I think I'm going to drive down to the D.C. area from where I am. Um, so definitely fill out that form, and I'll definitely interview you. And I want to keep this vlogging stuff going because it's a lot of fun. It's all obviously very costly to, to travel and stuff for it, but it's a good way to keep giving back to the community. Um, nothing really outside of that. I mean, I don't have any plans on working for Google. I'm not going to pull a, a Danny <laughs> Sullivan and go work for the devil. I'm just sure. <laughs> But I, I have no interest in working for Google. Maybe when I get older and I want to give up on my company and you know, kind of retire a little bit and take mm -hmm. it easy, um, maybe I'll work for somebody else at that point. But I am, I'm too young for that. I'm only 39, um, which kind of surprises people uh, that I'm 39. But, yeah, I mean, I have no no plans. Just keep things going, be consistent, and, and keep it going as, as is. All right, great. And um, yeah, last thing I guess is just uh, remind people where they can find you on social media or elsewhere online. And if there's anything in particular, uh, aside from obviously your vlogging project, that maybe you'd like them to check out. Yeah, um, so you can find me online, obviously on Twitter at the handle Rusty Brick. Um, I don't post anything really personal on any of my social media channels. So you're not going to really find anything personal, but it'll be all SEO and business-related topics all day long. Um, you could also um, obviously find my writing at Search Engine Roundtable and at Search Engine Land. Um, I write there daily, um, often, um, and I try to cover things in a way that respects your time, like I said before. And of course, uh, with this new vlog, I would really appreciate if all I don't know how many people how many people actually listen to this podcast in general and. Generally, about right now, about 2,000. All right. So I would love to get 2,000 new subscribers. So if everybody <laughs> who's listening to this, go to the YouTube channel. It's Rusty Bricks. I think it's YouTube.com slash Rusty Brick. Mm -hmm. Click on that subscribe button. So I think, like the YouTubers say, smash that like button um, and hit that bell and so forth because I'm really trying to get uh, more subscribers to my YouTube channel. Sometimes I'm painful to listen to, so I apologize in advance, but just do it anyway. I want to get subscribers. I want to get that 100,000 plaque or something. What do they call it? Subscriber plaque. And soon I want to beat uh, PewDiePie with his over 100 million subscribers. So if I get to over 100 million subscribers because of this podcast, that'd be great. <laughs> we'll do we'll do our best. I am sure to help you out. <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate All right, it. cool. All right, well, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, as we close out, uh, I think there was one overall theme I heard from people when I told them I'd be interviewing you, Barry, and it was this. Thank you. Uh, as Roger Monty, uh, 
who's of Martini Buster. He's also a news writer for Search Engine Journal. He wanted me to pass on this message to you, which is this. Thank you for chronicling the search marketing industry as it happens. You've accomplished something that is unique without parallel in our industry. I have the highest esteem for you and for what you have accomplished. So thank you. And oh, thank you. Uh, and I'll jump on to add to, on to what Roger said. Um, thank you for all you've done to help build and shape this industry. You know, you have an amazing body of work. Uh, you've documented this industry like no one else aside from obviously Danny Sullivan. Um, but you're only an active one doing it. So thank you for being so good at what you've been doing for so long. And thanks for helping so many people stay up to date on all things SEO and search. Um, and I want to also throw one more thing at you. Um, this is actually from uh, an article that Jeannie Marvin wrote on Search Engine Land about you. And I thought, yeah, this, this sounds like Barry. So she wrote, he's prolific, churning out more news coverage than anyone in the industry. He cares deeply about the search community. The dedication, unparalleled work ethic, read Do Not Try This at Home, and heart Schwartz brings to his work is an inspiration to so many of us. So, oh, and of course, I can't forget to add thanks for all the laughs because uh, it's rare a week goes by or I don't just see like some epic one sentence hilarious comment from you on social media. So, uh, all that said, uh, Barry, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today on the Search Engine Journal Show. It's been awesome having you here. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And thanks to everything you do as well to the industry. It's really, really impressive. So, thank you. Thanks, Barry. Okay. That does it for us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Remember to look for our next podcast the same time next week for more great insights and conversations. Uh, new episodes drop every Thursday morning. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. And if you liked this podcast, please tell your coworkers and your industry friends about the Search Engine Journal show. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, as always, you can follow Search Engine Journal at SE Journal on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you want to follow me, I am at Mr. Danny Goodwin on Twitter. So long, and thanks for listening.